Hey everyone, happy May 4th. It is Monday and that means for our expert series, we bring back Greg Dickerson. How are you doing, Greg? I am doing great, Michael. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, I, just, uh, I just saw an article from CoStar uh, that says it's projecting 148 billion, that's with a B, uh, um, loan defaults in the commercial mortgage-backed securities market over the next couple of years. And I thought what would be great to have you walk through is really how does how do distressed assets eventually hit the market? Because I don't think the average investor, you know, like me who's playing in residential, really appreciates the length of time between missed first payment and ultimately that asset being sold. And in reality, a lot of these assets get sold before someone like I would see them. But I thought maybe we could walk through all of that. Then maybe we'll break this down into different parts. But maybe first share your experience with, you know, hey, from a first missed payment of an owner operator to ultimately losing that asset. I mean, it's a, it's a long process and workouts and, you know, just other things could happen. So maybe we'll start there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that sounds like a, a good idea. I was looking while you were talking. So the CMBS market in 2019 was 96 billion dollars 96 hmm. billion so you're talking about one percent right you said 96 billion in 2019 Not, yeah 96 billion so you're at you know would you say that article was 1.67 billion or something no one hundred and forty eight billion. so it's more than 100 percent of oh, 148 billion yeah yeah so that's interesting because i'm looking right now and it said uh the domestic private label cmbs uh Issuance totaled $96.7 billion. So that was the issuance last year. So it'd be interesting to know how big the CMBS market is. Okay, here we go. So I'm looking at something else. I don't know how big the CMBS market currently is. That'd be interesting to find out. And well, maybe while I'm talking. Yeah, could, I'll look it up while you kind of riff yeah. on the process. Yeah, it might be about $500 billion, actually. I'm just curious what percentage of the market that represents. So anyway, so okay. to answer your question, uh, the way it works is, you know, when a when a large commercial asset um, goes into default, um, that's the beginning of a long process, okay? And it could be, you know, a bankruptcy looming, like some of these shopping malls, some of these retailers, things like that. So the first sign of trouble is, you know, missing payments going into default. And in my area, there were two major, three major shopping malls that had gone into default towards the end of last year, the beginning of this year, before this all started, they were already um, missing their payments and, and going into to default. So what happens is, um, you know, the lenders you know, issue that notice of default, you know, you got to catch this thing up and then that's when the game starts. So it can be a multi-year process before anything really happens. And generally what's going to happen is, you know, these recent investment funds that own these properties have different tiers that these put these properties in you know, tier one, performing, doing good, we're hanging on to them. Tier two, you know, distressed. Tier three, we're getting ready to give it back to the lender. So generally what happens is that's the process. Once it starts to default, the conversations start, bankruptcy conversations begin, and the asset um, uh, starts its transfer to a receivership, depending on the situation, and or back to, um, you know, the loan servicer uh, lender, whoever provided that funding. So they'll take the asset over, and then generally turn it uh, turn it out to the market where the note will get sold or the property will get sold itself. So it's it's a pretty long, drawn out, complicated process. And depending on the asset, you know there'll be a number of people waiting in the wings to pick it up. 
either the debt or the asset itself. Yeah. So one. So just to answer the question at hand, it looks like at least by one source, this is by no means vetted. Uh, over eight hundred billion dollars was the CMBS okay. peak. So yeah. Uh, so that's, almost almost a trillion. Uh, yeah. So that's about twenty percent of the market. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and again, it was it, in the article from CoStar, it was really talking about the new issuance, like the, they were indicating the last three years, uh, obviously shows yeah. the most risk, right? They bought at the peak kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So back to the timeline, uh, again, right? Like a residential house, right? You miss your payment. Uh, nothing really starts for the first 90 days, right? Phone calls will start, yeah. letters will come. After 90 days, they may file something then there's probably another 90 day process. So the shortest somebody would lose their residential house is right around six months. In the CMBS market, given bigger assets, uh, lots more legal maneuvering workouts probably are, are more interesting or, or, or possible. Um, really, it, it probably is a year before one of these substantial assets would really go back to the lender in first position. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, if it even makes it back. So these are very, very different. They're all non-recourse, you right. know, so it's a matter of transfer of the debt, transfer of the asset. So it's, it's a little bit different. It's not like the lender comes in and takes these things over and goes through all that. It's right. either going to be a bankruptcy process or it's going to be a, you know, a deed in lieu transfer process or somebody comes in and just buys that debt. It gets written down, new owner takes over. So, so it's a very different process when you're dealing with CMBS. Yeah, and we were. I was talking to an asset manager on Friday, uh, and it really sounded like the place to be is to be a known buyer of debt mm -hmm. because people are going to be discounting the debt, um, yeah. and then basically using that to you know bring in a, a a new owner. Is that that's pretty common, I would guess. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and generally those are going to avoid any kind of foreclosure process. So you know, when that debt's purchased, you know, generally everything's going to transfer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just going to be a deed the keys are going to be turned over and, and the new owners take over everybody walks away some commercial loans you know that are privately held can be a very different process so let's just, let's say it's a local regional national bank and they're holding the debt and it hasn't been sold off it hasn't been securitized it hasn't become a, co a commercial mortgage-backed security cmbs commercial mortgage-backed security so um that's a very different process where you, you go into default the lender then comes in and does do a foreclosure or they sell the debt and then the new owner actually does that foreclosure. So mm -hmm. on the, on the smaller deals, it's a little bit different, but on the big ones, it's more of just a business trans, you know, transaction, kind of a stock transfer, if you will. Yeah. The other thing that was interesting, again, CoStars, the source of this, uh, this information, they kind of tried to put in a estimate of loss of value, which I thought was interesting mm -hmm. because again, these distressed assets. So they were saying the assets that end up being, I don't know what you want to, I'll call it foreclosed, whatever the right answer is, just bad debt, right? Default. Uh, they said that they could see a 65% drop in value. Uh, this is for apartments. Wow. Uh, compared to a 19% yeah, drop yeah. If, if the debt is, is uh, still being serviced. So a 65% haircut on the debt, man, that's, that's pretty nasty. Yeah, it is. It is. And, uh, you know, but you're talking big numbers. So in the whole scheme of things, you know, the question is who owns those assets, who owns that portfolio, you know, who owns the debt? What does that mean relative to the entire portfolio? So if you're, you know, if you're in the market, and you own a bunch of the stocks and you're, you're aggregated out amongst, the, you know, a bunch of different equities and things, mm -hmm. you know, you might lose some here, but you're winning some there. 
So it's a portfolio play, you know, in the overall, but that's, that's a huge cut. But again, we're talking, you know, a small portion of the market. The interesting thing you said to me was multifamily was in that. I wouldn't expect multifamily. Mm-hmm. I wonder what percentage of that total package is multifamily. You know, I expect hospitality, retail, office, mm-hmm. but um, most multifamily um, properties that I'm aware of and owners are, are in, you know, pretty good shape. Now, I haven't heard, I haven't heard main numbers yet, but, you know, as of April, we're doing real well. Yeah, again, this is one article, right? I haven't cross-checked it or anything. I'll just read to you. So they, they found 13,000 loans to be at high risk. But here's what got, again, as a real estate guy, it got me interested. 11,000 of the loans were multifamily. So 11,000 wow. of the 13,000 were multifamily. Uh, 823 yeah. were retail, 732 office, and 718 other. Um, so I yeah. don't know what and that, you know what that 90%. is. 90%. Yeah. What is that? So in the CMBS market, the multifamily is going to be bridge loans. It's going to be bridge uh, debt. It's going to be those short-term interest-only loans. So, what, you know, probably what's happening is a lot of those are coming due and they can't refinance for a number of reasons. You know, they either didn't make their mark or the, the money's not there to refi. You know, the requirements are different. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, if you start drilling down into it, that's probably a lot of what that is. So again, what does that mean? That means if you're equity in one of those deals, it's gone. That's really what that means. Yeah, potentially, if they can't work that thing out. Yeah. So as an equity investor, you know, just like in stocks, you know, yeah. when, when, you know, uh, it's gone, it's gone, you know, when, when it gets taken over or, um, you know, split or whatever, a lot of times those equity investors get wiped out. Yeah. Then the other thing I thought we would talk about, um, you know, I don't know if you saw it or any, uh, if you're a Warren Buffett fan, but he had his uh, shareholder meeting on Saturday. You see that at all? Yeah. So yeah. one, of the, one of the things that I thought he talked about that was interesting to you and I is he, he actually came out and said that the consumer in business has already changed. And he said that demand for retail and office will go down. And then he went on right. to propose that, you know, that's not all bad. A lot of the mall and office stuff will be repurposed as storage facilities, multifamily, like converted into multifamily living. Um, and I wanted to ask a guy like you, is, uh, let's just take a normal strip mall, or like a mall, right? With anchor tenants, right? You got, I don't know, JCPenney's, Macy's, and Sears. That's just the mall that and I grew indoor, up in. You're talking about an indoor mall? Indoor, yeah. And then, yeah. So okay. two, two big anchor tenants on the end, and then just malls, you know, like little stores, like two levels, right? You got like 75 stores on top and 75 stores on bottom. That's the mall. How do you convert that? to something else. I mean, do you literally just scrape it and build a new because it has a big square footage or do you take the configuration and try to chop up the interior? I, I just don't know how the developer would look at that. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. And there's a number of case studies with those types of properties out there that even, you know, started happening before all this. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a number of ways, depending on the property location condition, the best thing to do is just scrape it and start new, depending okay. on what it is, where it is. We have one in our market that's primed for that. And uh, in fact, I might make a video on that and kind of drive around it, you know, later on today, just because we're discussing it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and that thing is primed to be scraped and redone. Now, if you it's one story. Okay. So if you go into the two story, you know, then you have a little bit more opportunity. If you think about uh, like some airports out there that have the mall slash residential hotel component to it. Mm. So it can be turned into potentially apartments, you know, with common area, you know, to where some of those units upstairs and i think some places have tried that some tried the co-working put a little co-working space in there a little bit of residential 
you know, senior living. I've heard, you know, people talk about converting them into senior living where you have the common areas and you have a food court, you have, yeah. little, you know, the core you know, pharmacy, retail, maybe some, you know, medical facilities to service that, that uh, demographic that lives there. So I could see it turning into assisted living facility, potentially. You know, the problem you have with a mall is you've got a lot of interior spaces and you can't get any daylight. So it doesn't make a very good living, you know, situation. Uh, I've seen others where they've left a couple of anchors, torn down the mall, and then redeveloped it into an outdoor, indoor, outdoor lifestyle center with some residential components in there. Um, So I've seen that done to a number of spaces. But I think the problem now is a lot of these anchors are going out. Yeah. So you know, the question is, are these anchors even going to be able to survive? Like your Macy's and your, you know, pennies that are open in certain areas and Belk and, you know, but I, I don't even know who's left anymore after this. Yeah. You know? I mean, seriously, it's like, who's going to stay big box? Yeah, no, it's, um, no, this is just capitalism in my opinion at its best, right? There is a, there's a particular segment uh, of industry, the, the mall, just genericizing yeah. the mall that worked for 50 years or oh, 60 years that doesn't work after this event. And the people yeah. that are going to make the money are the people that come in, buy for pennies, and then have a vision of how to use that space or whatnot uh, effectively. Yeah. It's going to be the I think great a lot of areas, pricing. You know, I think a lot of areas demolition just makes sense because they're going to be prime properties and prime um, suburban neighborhoods. And after this event, there's going to be a, a ton of retail office um, type properties available. A lot of, now, there are a lot of office buildings um, that are getting redeveloped into apartments. Um, so that makes sense and senior living in a lot of areas, but a shopping mall doesn't make for a great living space. So it's kind of difficult. Um, you know, and like I said, it depends on who the anchors are and, and what that property looks like. But yeah, the Warren Buffett thing was interesting. You know, he said, I sold all my airlines. What yeah. happened to the airlines today? <laughs> down 10% except Southwest, which is down like six or seven. Yeah, uh, going back to that, that Warren thing. So I guess that makes sense. Your thought on daylight. See, this is why I like talking to my experts because I just don't know these things. But I guess that makes sense why maybe a big mall might turn into storage, right? Because you don't want daylight in a storage facility. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could see a case for indoor storage, but my goodness, you'd have to you'd have to really get that thing for a song, you know, because yeah. you got the problem with the mall is you have a lot of common area that just doesn't get used. Yeah. So you know, to reconfigure that space, and and it just depends on how the mall is laid out. But yeah, I mean, that that could be a good potential use in indoor storage. But you know, some of these malls are pretty big. Some of them are pretty small. I've seen uh, some college and universities buy them and turn them into campuses. Yeah. So it makes great you know educational campuses. Um, you know, conference centers, but who knows what that business is going to look like yeah. and when, you know, so uh, it's, it's really interesting, you know, um, to, to try to repurpose a, a building like that. It just, yeah, you know, you said, a lot I, of it depends I, on how it's constructed. Yeah, I guess it just, because again, a lot of these were built 40 years ago and they're probably not up to mm-hmm. current code, right? It wouldn't pass code today, but it was grandfathered in. Uh, and it probably was built for retail code and not single family or residential code. So, I mean, you're probably right. I mean, I guess it wouldn't be cheaper just to, knock it all down and build a new versus try to retrofit, you know, this old square box into something yeah. else. Especially storage. When you look at the dollars that you'd have to pay for the building for what you could get a storage facility or build one for, that's going to be very difficult to work, make work, um, you know, for a traditional shopping mall, unless, you know, you can get the thing, you know, for pennies on the dollar. I mean, you're only talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of square feet, you know, in terms of, of the building itself, and then to convert that to storage, it'd have to be a, a pretty good deal. Yeah. So I guess in short, there's probably a, 
lots of malls out there. I can think of three or four in my area that won't be there in five years that will be just something else. Um, yeah, now I'll tell you a fantastic use, but <laughs> again, it would be hard to make it work, would be like an indoor multi-sports complex. Ah. You just gut the sucker, leave the exterior walls. If you got a high ceiling, man, you got a roller rink, you got you know, indoor sports, you got, you know, trampoline park. I mean, you could do a number of things, but that would be, that would be hard to make, make that work too. Oh, I like, I like that thinking though. Cause again, I yeah. think, I think something that's going to be important. Cause again, I think just like the great depression, consumer behavior is going to change after this event. The great recession didn't really change. Dot-com crash didn't change. 9-11 didn't really change. I think this is going to change behavior. And one of them is going to be about, experiences and oh by the way yeah. local experiences so having a place you know indoor soccer trampolines you know skydiving and uh yeah rock climbing yeah you know, ninja course all that yeah indoor wave pool yeah that could be cool that could be fun all right yeah yeah but you know like you said who knows what all that's going to look like i mean what we see now is the areas today a lot of areas are opening up this is may 4th you know 2020 so whoever's watching listening wherever whatever you know yeah. we're still in the middle of a lot. My state has still not released our our uh, shelter stay at home order. Mm-hmm. We had that till June 10th initially. Jeez. Oh, uh, well, you know, we were one of the last ones. For oh, that's we were true. One of the last ones going in. So, you know, we've only been at it since the middle to third week of March, I think, is when it started. Yeah. Um, it might have been that last week of March when we were actually ordered to stay at home. So we're we're only yeah. about five six weeks in. Uh, anyways. So we're seeing a lot of the country open up and you're seeing a lot of people go out and gather like at the beaches and the parks and, you know, things like that. And they're starting to visit the malls and, you know, some people are going into restaurants, but um, you know, the real question is who's going to travel, who's going to fly, who's going to go back to hotels, you know, who's going to, who's going to go to a conference if you can even hold one. Some people will, some won't, you know, you just, it's hard to say what the traffic's going to look like. And then, you know, the big question is, are we going to see another flare up, which arguably we should, based on the behavior we're seeing now for the country or the uh, states that are opening up yeah. and, and the density of the, you know, just protest stuff, you would think we'll, we'll see another reflash. Yeah. Well, let's hope, uh, let's hope they, this, uh, this thing dies in the summer and we never see it again. I realize that's a hope and not a very likely, but Hey, let's put it out there. Let's just put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The sun's just going to make it go yeah, away. Yeah, Go away. <laughs> it's 80 degrees. It dies. Brazil- I think Brazil can argue against that. Yeah, I think you're right. I saw those numbers. Uh, some horrible stuff going on in, in, in And it's Brazil. hot in Brazil. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, so the other thing that I think we should be talking about is um, just, I see this, you know, be, this being solved with people like you, your history, right? Being an entrepreneur. I, right. think, I think we are about to enter the greatest decade of entrepreneurship ever because we're going to have the great repricing of stuff leases will yeah. be lower you know potentially hiring people will be different creativity will be there um what could you tell someone because uh, again i think being an entrepreneur coming out of this is going to be pretty tremendous what are your thoughts on that so, so you know i talked last time about co-tenancy so co-tenancy is huge if you've got a lease in a shopping center or there is a shopping center it, it, you know and if a certain number of those units go dark, um, let's say 20, 30% of the units are dark, then that should trigger a co-tenancy clause in your lease where you can cancel your lease and or go month to month and or renegotiate and reduce your rent. So I think with the, um, unfortunately, there are some businesses that aren't gonna be able to reopen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that will give the opportunity to renegotiate some things. So if you're a business owner out there and you're struggling and you're on the fence, um, you know, renegotiate with your landlord and turn it into a percentage rent lease. So maybe you turn it to where you pay a percentage of your gross sales moving forward after a point, because they would rather have somebody in there thriving than versus going dark. And you're not going to have a whole lot of people, you know, lined up to replace you because everybody that wants to start a business right now is going to wait you know, and see what happens because there will be some deals out there. So I would not go into a long-term lease. I would not guarantee a lease. That's what's going to change in the commercial retail market moving forward. I think you can negotiate away lease guarantees. You can go, um, you know, month to month, you can do percentage rent deals. You know, landlords would rather have somebody in there growing, driving as a future, but not being able to pay rent the tables where a lot of these centers, you know, the developers and the landlords, I'm a developer, you know, we're squeezing so much out of the tenants between charging premium rents and a percentage of their gross, you know, on top of that, um, you know, it was just really, really killing a lot of people. So I think now that tide's going to turn mm. where it's going to finally come back into the favor of, of uh, business owners and entrepreneurs. So from a number of ways, from a brick and mortar standpoint, it is a great time if you've got something that, you know, I mean, nothing's going to weather a storm when you get shut down. Hmm. So let's say we get through this, we get open, we got vaccines and we got treatments. We don't have to worry about being shut down again. Then the question is, how are you going to fight against Amazon? You know, the online retailers, you know, you want to be the type of business that's going to survive all this and you got to be able to market yourself so that you can drive those customers into your store. And if you were put out of business, you had a skill, you had something people were coming in for. So if you were some sort of professional service or something like that, you should be able to leverage that online and transition that skill from an entrepreneurial standpoint. And I mean, there's a huge need out there for what does every business need? Every business needs customers. So if you've got some social media skills, you could set up an agency where you do social media to drive customers through Facebook ads, YouTube ads, uh, technology. There's a huge opportunity to step into that space and drive traffic to people, doctors, lawyers, you know, as we get reopened, these businesses are going to need customers. So, you know, there's an opportunity there. There's an opportunity for other, you know, ancillary contractor work supporting some of these other businesses that, um, that are reopening and surviving through logistics, shipping, delivery, you know, just uh, copywriting, um, sales, just all kinds of different things that you can do. So yeah, there, there's going to be some opportunities. Yeah, man. I, I, any, uh, I think this is a lot of fun. I think there's a lot of hope and value coming down the line. We do got to get through this, this event, which will be months in duration and a blip on the radar it'll hurt there's no question it'll hurt um but I, I i look forward to what is coming any kind of closing thoughts if we wrap up this conversation yeah so i think you know in general the real estate market the housing market is strong i'm still seeing strong demand low inventory it's still a seller's market you know mm -hmm. in most areas of the country there's obviously pockets here and there but in most areas you know that's still remaining strong so I think it's, uh, you know, it's a good time to be a seller in the single family residential world on the multifamily side, you know, debt and, and lending is getting more and more difficult. Uh, it's going to be very important. Number one, they're really looking at the experience of the operator when you go to borrow a loan now. Um, they they want to see experience, especially the agency lenders, um, you know, reserve requirements, um, you know, lending uh, criteria, loan to values, loan to cost, you know, all those types of things are changing still today. You know, they, they came out now where, uh, once you apply for your loan, they're going to want to see, you know, T12, T3, and mm -hmm. T1, okay? They've never asked for a T1. Now they're asking for that. Yep. So as you go through the pipeline, 
and uh, you get your loan approval and your commitment letter and your term sheet, they're going to want to revisit that and they're going to be looking for a T to date. So they're going to be looking at, I called it T yesterday, you know, the other day. So they want to know, you know, let's say you, you've applied for the loan last month and you're going to close the end of this month. You know, sometime before you get your loan commitment, they're going to want to revisit that occupancy uh, in those collections and they're going to want you to submit a T, you know, year to date on that, you know, week to date, month to date, whatever, mm-hmm. just to kind of verify that, you know, collections are still there and the income is still there. So uh, it's getting more and more difficult and that loan can be pulled at any minute along the pipeline, even after they commit, even after yeah. they've given you a term sheet and committal, they can still pull that thing out from under you. So be careful, you know, what you're putting at risk in terms of earnest money. Make sure you've got the ability. If your loan gets pulled, you get all your money back and walk away. Yeah. Very cool, man. Well, I appreciate you doing this every Monday for us. I love this expert series. You always answer my questions with so much wisdom and help. So I appreciate you, man. Thank you, Greg. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Good to see you.